by giving people only 0% crazy, they end up being 50-60%. Me, I get them, give my wife 20% crazy, so he's only crazy maybe 1-2% of the time. I'm cutting back, so I have a 49% reduction on craziness just by giving people permission to be crazy. Welcome to the Gary Scott Thomas Show. Here's what we know. The podcast with unexpected conversations. Listen each week as we engage in unscripted conversations where we'll be just as surprised as you will be with where the dialogue goes. So join us each week and be privy to the captivating conversations that are sure to ensue. Here's your host, Gary Scott Thomas. And welcome to the latest edition of Here's What We Know, the podcast of unexpected conversations. And I'm looking forward to talking to this guy who's one of those guys that I want to be frank about it. You know how you folks have been listening to the podcast. You, you know, folks who are just uber amazing and do everything. I kind of secretly hate them, but I tell them straight up front that I secretly hate them. And Stephen Joseph, I kind of secretly hate you. Oh, the, the, I don't hate you. I kind of like you. You seem like a really nice kind of guy. You are the nice man. Can, can I share the story you just told me? Is that okay if we share that? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. So you were just diagnosed with COVID, and what did you do to deal with the diagnosis? Well, I ran six miles this morning, so I, I'm, I feel like a little sniffle. If I could have a cold like this whenever I had a cold, I'd sign up right away. I even signed for more cold. <laughs> did you know that 50, I think the statistic came out this week, 58% of the American public statistically will test positive for COVID, even though the vast majority have had little to no symptoms. And 75% of children under 18 test positive with little to no symptoms. Yeah, yeah. Hey, the good news is hospital rates haven't risen. Death tolls haven't risen. So that's if good. you do the math, this is a good thing. Yes, I, I, that's that's good math and it's a good math thing and the good thing and all, all the good yeah all good <laughs> yeah. it's a so you ran six miles we're going to get into it steven has written steven is one of those guys that a million things and he's and he's got books out and he does children's books and, and we're going to talk all about that including his brand new book i mean how could you not like a book that is titled snickers or what, what is that? hold on hold on no snoodles snoodles Poodles and lots and lots of noodles. There it is. Snoodles, cadoodles, poodles, and lots and lots of noodles. How could I mispronounce that? It just, you know. know. (laughs) We're going to get into that. But first of all, I've got a, your personal story is what really intrigued me to start off with. I mean, it's, it's, it, now you're from New York. Is it, you're, are you from the, the East Coast area? Let's put it that way. Yeah. I grew up in the Bronx, New York City. Yeah. And you are a, as you, as you described in one situation, I saw you were a, a cured fat kid or a reformed fat, fat person. Yes. I, I, in December 87, I was 240 pounds. And by June 88, I was 155 pounds. So I lost 85 pounds in about five months. So tell everybody how you did that, because I'm sure there's a magical formula. Go ahead and tell. Well, excuse me. So Back then, I was not planning to lose 85 pounds. Oh, I'm going to lose 85 pounds tomorrow. So, and I didn't go to any diets, sign up for any diet thing. I said, uh, I said, number, it started out 
when I said, no matter how tired I was, I was going to go to the gym. And, and I, I but they put me on three minutes of life cycle level one. I could barely do it, but I kept going. I kept, I, I cut out like empty calories. I'm not going to eat potato chips. I'm not going to eat. I make potato latkes and I put sour potato pancakes, you know, whatever. So I'm not going to do, I cut out fried foods. I cut out, there's one thing after another. I, I, it's easier for me to explain like later in life because it's a, I even have a chapter about the called crank it source diet in my grown up guide to effective crankiness where when my daughter was like five years old and I noticed I started gaining weight and I store, I started being uh, a garbage can, her garbage can, you know, so like she's not going to eat the chicken nugget. I'll eat it. I'm going to throw it out or a French fry or a piece of pizza. I became the garbage can. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to have the garbage can be the garbage can. And then my weight started going down again. So what I talk about is changing my normals. I don't like the word habit. Oh, we have to have good habits, bad habits, good habits. We have to get a good habit this year, another good habit. I'd rather talk about normal because that's more permanent. It's what I do. It's just how I, I live. So like I run every morning. I Yes, I have COVID, but this is what I normally do. So I'm going to go out and do it. So, so that's kind of like my secret, that, trying to find, find like old normals that you're familiar with, but they were healthy, but just reimposing them. And, and then even you discover new normals. And when it becomes normal, like you kind of have to do it. It's not like you even have a choice. You know, I normally get up and have coffee. You know, that's what I normally do. So, so that, that's, that's what I would talk about. Do you miss things? And I'll say this, I'll say that in this way. I, I quit smoking back in 19, I want to say 81. But I, I've had, I've told people before, there are days I'll get up and have a cup of coffee and think, you know, a cigarette hits spot right now. Not that I would ever go do it, but I'm not going to lie and say I don't miss it and think there are times that it'd be really cool to have it. Do you ever find yourself missing things? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, well, I, I, you know, certain things I like to cook. So I eat a really delicious food and I get really good ingredients. And, and uh, so I don't miss. Like like the empty calories sort of thing, like a bag of like when I, I was living in Pittsburgh, I went to law school there, I practiced law there, and eating, you know, watching football and eating potato chips, so like my my hand going mindlessly in the bag and going through potato chips and all the crap that you know was you know what you do when you watch football all day because that's what people do in Pittsburgh, so. I, I don't miss that at all. I, you know, if you ask me, like, you wake up in the morning, you know, I just want to stay in bed and sleep another two hours. Yes. That I think all the time. But, but then I, I kind of remember all the times I dragged myself out of bed and how much better I felt because of that, like three hours later. So, so I, I, I have that memory of, okay, it, yeah, you know, let me just go ahead and do it. And I do it. I'm a runner too, not to your extent. I've never run marathons. I've I've trained for a marathon twice, and both times I came down with pneumonia. My doctor said, you know, your body just can't handle that stress once you get past 10 miles. And he goes, What's wrong with running 10 miles? Is there is there something wrong with running 10 miles? But but I I the idea of running every day 
it sounds awesome and the fact that you carve it out, but it, it does take a physical toll on you. And I admire how you get past the injuries, not only the willpower, but getting past the little nagging injuries. Yeah, no, I, I, I just been very fortunate. Like, and I, and when I meet a lot of people, so I, they say I used to run. And all these people say, oh, yeah, I did track in high school or ran in college, and then my knees gave out. And I, I'm lucky, though. I waited till like, I was 28, and my body was fully grown. It wasn't, you know, just going to do anything anymore. And that's when I started really running. So so I've never had any real injuries from, from that time on. And, and actually, I started really doing marathons. I did two when I was, like, 29. And then when I turned 40, I started running marathons. And I was a mess when I did the first one. I did New York City Marathon in 2001, 421. And then 10 years later, when I turned 50 in 2011, it was my best time. I did 317. So I'm just very lucky. And I do it because my body says I can. So How do you get past that? I mean, how do you get past when you, you know, you're at mile 16 and you tell yourself, because anybody who's run knows 16 miles is a very long way, but you're at mile 16 yeah. and you're going, well, let's see here. I only have five and a half more miles or 20, you know, what, whatever ten, it is. Ten, miles. ten more yeah, miles, ten miles to go. I've only got 10 more yeah. miles to go. So the, like, I just ran the Brooklyn Marathon on Sunday. And uh, yeah, that like I actually started feeling better around mile 21 than I was at 16. But I always say the New York City Marathon I really like because it's mile 16. When I I think to myself, it's right on the 59th Street Bridge, which is coming into Manhattan, and you hear the crowds like in Manhattan cheering. And I always remember how I felt when I felt terrible at mile 16. And then, oh, I don't feel as bad as like 10, the one I did 10 years ago, whatever. So I had that mental memory that I go back on and say, oh, if I was able to do it then when I felt terrible and now I feel actually half decent, I'll just focus. I got it. I got this one. So, so it is a real, it's, it's more, it's almost as much mental as, as physical. Just to just stay focused. There'd have to be rewards. See, if I if I were in a marathon or, or did an Ironman, that's because I'd want to eat all the food. Yeah, yeah. No, I I eat. Yeah, I eat the food. Yeah, no, I. <laughs> I want all of the spaghetti. I don't want some of the spaghetti, Stephen. I want all of it. Okay. Yeah. No. Do you do you do you listen to anything when you run training runs and stuff? I know most marathons don't allow you to to wear headgear stuff or you know into your ears or something. I if I'm say. running a marathon, I'm not listening to anything. It's not allowed. It, yeah, you just have to run. Uh, when I run by myself, I do listen to music, and and also I listen just to myself when I write. Like people say, when do you how do you have time to do this? I actually write when I run. And and then it just gets written out like along the way, and then when I get back, I'll just write it down. And the best is if I have characters that I just watch them talk. I don't have to do anything; they're just talking, you know, talking away, and like I just listen. 
Wow. See, now I like to listen to audiobooks when I run. I just yeah. find it, I, I find it taking me away of the, uh, from running. Okay. I find it, it's something I can do, but to sit back and say, I enjoy it, I think would be a bit of a stretch. I like the fact that I can do so much for my body in an hour's time, but uh, I, I need distraction and an audiobook will give me distraction. And I found that mm. music turns into a measurement. I just need to run six more songs, or in your case, 281 more songs. But in, in, in my case, it's like, I, you know, okay, this story is really interesting. I'm going to, okay, I want to keep, okay, I get one more mile out of this. I, I just find the distraction very cool. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I Maybe I should try that. I should try getting a, a good story. But but on the other, on the flip side, sometimes it's I'm creating the story. Yeah, and 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 watching what like wow, and then you add another layer, and I get excited about about that story, and and sometimes I get so like I'm in love with the story that I got to create that I want to create a new story, but I still hear the old story. You know that those characters are still talking way in my head. Well, I'm going to get to the writing here in just a second, but I do want to touch on this because I was touched. I was looking at your website and you talked about how you started running the marathons for your ex-wife. Or she was your wife at the time. She she was my ex-wife. We we were like we just actually passed away last week. Mm, I'm uh, so sorry. So yeah, it was just sad. I gave this big speech. She was an amazing, amazing woman. And uh, but you know it. it well, we we still and we still loved each other. We still got along very well. So, but it was twenty years, and then about two and a half years ago, she got diagnosed with ALS. So, so yes, I, I raised money for ALS on her behalf when I ran New York last year. So I got to, to raise about three thousand dollars. Wow, that's that's a touching story. That's why I wanted to share with you. I was just amazed because not many people are doing things for their exes. Yeah, yeah, it was funny. Like I gave this big speech, and and it was the rabbi was like doing the wedding to the funeral, and she goes, "I've never seen that before." Yes, so uh, she touched me in many different ways, and it's almost like it's it's like like you know like a Lennon McCartney like with the Beatles, you know, just like one person does the, the silly love songs, and one person has more hard edge. And, but they really respect each other and just that, that it's a different direction. So that, that was probably our, our relationship. Were you the silly love song or the hard edge? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was the McCartney silly love song. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you, you got into law and then children's books, which is such a natural con- continuation, which is usually what happens. Most lawyers end up writing kids' books. Yeah. <laughs> How, first of all, why law? Was it just something the family expected? Were you, were you enthralled by it? Is, is it a, is it a long history of lawyers in your, in your family? No, no. I, I'm first generation American. Neither of my parents went past like six, seven, six. Great education. My mother is a Holocaust, was a Holocaust survivor. And, and they wanted me to be a doctor and I didn't want to be, and I couldn't stand the sight of blood. So that's the problem with being a doctor. And I actually wanted to go into theater, but they, they didn't want my father more than my mother. He was more outspoken. So no, I'm not going to pay for that. So, so I went, I was pre-law and became a lawyer. And kind of, kind of like it. I have a lot of fun with it. 
yeah. gets me cranky though sometimes. So. Yeah, you you because you you talk you touch on the cranky cranky saurus. How do you pronounce it? Cranky saurus, but or, but it doesn't spell like saurus. It's cranky it's, witch. It's, it's it's the ish word saurus. Sort with like like a syrupy sound to saurus. You think you have saurus? If I had your saurus, I'd be doing cartwheels. <laughs> Nobody could outdo my saurus. So I, I called it like was my first book was a grown up uh, me the last surviving dinosaur the Tyrannosaurus not saur and this little dinosaur the most dangerous dinosaur on the planet kept cranking out her saurus till all the other dinosaurs dropped dead and then millions of years later humans evolved from this dinosaur and also the Tyrannosaurus you know fetching you know like. So, so some of the fetches about their source, and that's you know, if you want to know why we are cranky, it's because that's we came from these two dinosaurs. Yiddish has the best words. They have the best word that conveys so much, and they're just yeah. so full of everything. I mean, you know, kvetch and source and chutzpah, you know? I, I know you... Yeah. They, they, I, I, I wanted to talk to you about nerve, because I saw you read a little thing about nerve, and and, and you got chutzpah. And again, I'm a kid from South Alabama. I have slowly uh, been taught how to say stuff like chutzpah. Matter of fact, a, a friend of mine who goes, no, you really got to go from the gut, Gary. It's chutzpah. Spy. Well, yeah, yeah. like yeah, like you're gonna spit at somebody. Yeah, but, yeah, and I'm like, wow. And the idea behind it, which is I love because I, I've always had this situation where I try to be the easiest, easiest I don't want to be a problem. I try to be the easiest thing in every room. Everything I do, every place I do, I try to be the easiest thing that you'll deal with, which is cool to some extent, but it also, it also sublimates. And I, and my, I, I've said this many times. I need more chutzpah. I think I'd be a lot richer if I had the temerity to stand up and go, no, no, no. I want to do it this way. I want to do that way. And, and, and the Yiddish people recognized that and gave it a word. Yeah, yes. And so uh, it's funny, I, my last blog, I called Spinning Your Wheel Crankitsaurus, and it's almost like it's this, and that I, I redo The Wizard of Oz, and I, I use the word cojones. And uh, they all go to the wizard, and they get the little tchotchkes, little like, you know, like, oh, here, you need a brain? Here's a piece of paper. Oh, you need a heart? I have a cheap little watch. And, and then, and of course, Dorothy, he offers, you know, there's, there's this old man who goes, like, when my daughter is 14, I told her never to go in a hot air balloon with an old stranger. You know, just, you know, just, you never do that. And then the lion got this, like, metal. So, so they're all saying, you're spinning my wheel. And finally, the lion, and the lion says, you know, the other lion says he had to grow a pair of cojones. He didn't know what they were, but, but that's what he needed, not this metal. So, so afterwards he gets so annoyed, he swallows and eats up the wizard. And then everybody goes, Hey, you grew up here. And everyone's yelling, cojones. And then he says, ain't it the truth? Ain't it the truth? You know, so, and, and the wizard needed to be, I mean, when you get to write, you say, hey, yeah, let, let, let the lion eat the wizard. That, that would be fun. So. And it's a lot less graphic than having the tin man chop him up into pieces. Yes, that's right. Yes. 
because <laughs> that's a different movie altogether. <laughs> I think Hollywood has made that movie probably. It's somewhere. They call it the Tin Man, and and I'm, here's Tinny. <laughs> Yeah, no, that would be a good movie. Yeah, like a horror movie. Just redo it. <laughs> Everybody likes to take a different spin on it. And you find that it is, is that because just talking to you, you seem like a very laid back, affable man. But you can't be that in law, can you? I mean, you just can't stay that way in law. You have to have the cojones and the chutzpah in, in wild abandon. Yes, yes. And I, I do get excited where people like I'm more, you know, like, and I manage lawyers, I teach negotiation. And, and, and people are like, like, you know, lost in the desert or not focused. And, and I always talk about fighting fire with water. You know, when I'm talking to attorneys, we have to, what is our water? Water has clarity. It's crystal clear. It puts out a fire. You know, so, so, you know, some, some attorneys, oh, we have to fight fire with fire. And it's like, well, I, I never knew. I never knew yet. Like, what high, like, I go to the firehouse and they go, what high impact explosives do you use to put out a fire? And they, they did tell me they use water. Like, can you believe that? So, so I always talk about that. And, uh, a closing argument piece if I'm trying a case, ladies and gentlemen, jury is my favorite case to try. It's my favorite case to try, not because of fancy experts or sexy issues. It's because I can rely on the common sense of the jury. Whenever I can rely on the common sense of the jury, juries always do the right thing. And I want to know, like, what's our story? Like, does it smell right, feel right, taste right? And so getting people to focus in on that, you know, it's just like the common, it's just basic common sense. We're not talking about anything complicated. So, so really work, working with people on that and, uh, and when I see that, I yes, I do get a little excited where where people are going off the rails, and then I, my job is to get them back on. Wow! See, and are you are you a trial lawyer? Is that what is that is that the brand of law you go? Are you in? No, I actually work on behalf of an insurance company, and so I manage whether it's employment law, employment cases, or directors and officers, professional life, lawyers who get sued, accountants who get sued, any like uh, uh, those kind of are insured. And then we retain counsel, but I just want to know how do we get the case resolved? And and you have the attorney who says, I've been practicing for 40 years and I want my day. And there have been sued, I want my day in court. And, and we have to say, I, I would love to tell you, your day in court is next Tuesday, an hour, an hour and a half. You know, so it's not. It's like three years from now, and and at that point, you can't resolve the case. So I try to get things on a track, get things, people get focused. Like, what is our water? I talk about getting into the red zone, like in football. Like, you know, like how do we get into the red zone? And when you're in the red zone, we could both like really focus. We're right by the goal goal line. And uh, a lot of people, you know, again, they're just going in circles back and forth, not getting anywhere. And when it's it's the light at the end of the tunnel. So my job is like, where is the light? Like if it's not water, the light. So either way, it gets to you the same place. Is that the best part of your job? Yeah. It, well, it's it's fun. Well, this one, one thing I missed about pre-COVID, I would be traveling a lot. And you resolve a case like that no one thought get resolved. And 
dinner tastes really good when you do that. The plane ride feels so good. Wow, I did that that thing. So yes, it, it's it's a lot of fun. Can I ask what the worst part? Just well, it's just getting cranky. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of things that make you cranky in a day where uh, you know it's just. I mean, there's a lot of people that you know you have to deal with, and and they get it or they don't get it, and. Or you think, you know, like, like, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it, I'm dealing a lot when you have a lot of stuff on your plate and, and then something goes awry and then you have to like refocus. It takes your attention from one thing you're focusing it on and then you have to go to something else that you didn't plan on. Like I always say the work picks me. I can't pick my work and sometimes too much work picks me. It's like, oh, okay. We're going to come back. We're going to take a quick break with Stephen Joseph and talk about snoodles, canoodles, poodles, and lots and lots of noodles, along with just the whole process of writing a children's book. That's coming back right after this. So I want to tell you about our new sponsor, The Gym Guys. I have been working out with them for over a year now. It all started with a pandemic, and there was no place to go. The gyms were closed, all that kind of stuff. I found The Gym Guys because they come to you. The commute is theirs. Isn't that one of the worst parts of working out? Is You have to factor in the commute time. Not with The Gym Guys. And it's more motivating. It's one thing to say, I'm going to work out today. It's another thing if you know, like, I have Luciana coming over today at 11.15. i got to be ready for it. And then they change the workouts up for you. They give you an app so when you're working out on your own, you know how to do it right and what you're trying to do. And they also give you access to a nutritionist. It's all there for you. You can take it as, you know, if you're just starting your journey or maybe you want to take your journey to the next level. They've even got a contest on how you can win 100 free sessions with your friends and coworkers. It's at TheBiggestMover.com. TheBiggestMover.com. But you'll find the gym guys on the web. G-Y-M-G-U-Y-Z. Steven. The whole thought behind how did you get into writing a children's book? I mean, from what you do, it's not it's not a natural progression. So I'm fascinated by how in the world did you get there? Well, I, I well, my first book, I was the story came out of just something like I, I was with my, my wife, we were in in Italy, in Rome, and she was dyeing her hair, and then the the dye went into her eye, and, and the electricity went out at the same time. So she was kind of cranky, and that, and because you know she just like made me like a hundred pounds to see her crankosaurus. I ran to crankosaurus, and said that, and I explained that that's how dinosaurs became extinct, and that got a laugh out of her. But the crankosaurus became like a word that we used. So, so I had a story. And and I learned how to write a kid's book. I found a publisher, and then we got a illustrator. And and then this story just popped in my head. I was thinking about new, like I I like to cook, so and I, I've written on food and crankiness. So I was thinking of noodles, and then all of a sudden, like there's the poodles and kadoodles and strudel. Eat like so, and all of a sudden, one thing after another piled on, and then I just had a story. And I went back to my old illustrator, this guy Andy Case, who lives in Nottingham, England, and then you know he he we put put everything together, and he he's amazing what stuff he did, and and we get a book. 
Wow. It's, I asked this question. I, I had Coy Bowles on. He wrote uh, a couple of children's books, too. He's a musician in country music. And, and I asked him this question. I'm, I'm interested to hear your answer. How do you know when it's done? You know when it's done when uh, it almost looks like an audio book. Like I listened to, the, uh, like on my Grown Up Guide to the Facts of Crankiness, there's an audio book, but this actor who reads the book and he's amazing. Where it's like, it doesn't even seem like you, like, did I do that? You know, so it reads like, like I, I don't know who, who did, someone created this and I'm enjoying someone else's work, even though I'm the one who created it. So when you get that feeling that, that it, it becomes like something bigger than even who you are, then, then it's, it becomes something like I, I can really enjoy and become something special. But, with the children's book also, it's with the illustrator. You get, there's some pictures back and forth. Well, let's change this and then he'll do it. And, or he comes up with suggestions. I go, wow, that's great. So the collaboration is, is phenomenal with a children's book, which you don't get in, in let's say just writing a book on your own. So in this book, again, the snoodles, doodles, poodles, and okay, just the oodle oodle book is what I'm going to go with because it's a really hard title to go with. It's just say it over and over again. Now you actually have a theme on this, right? As far as like uh, something you're trying to not only entertain the kids, but you're trying to give them a, a lesson of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so so this it, there's a lot of things going on with this book, and I, I wrote this book when like you know you're, you're exposed. Well, you turn on TV, they talk about everybody's polarized. People are not getting along. Things are getting worse, not better. You know, just, you know, that sort of thing. And I wanted to write a book where people learn how to get along. People try to be creative to find solutions. And, uh, and it's funny. It's just so, and I also like when I write books, I like it. it there's one story that entertains the kids. But it's also a story that entertains the adults as well. So there's a lot of things. One of my favorite pictures is these newspaper clippings because my illustrator's from England. He has four snoodles crossing Abbey Road instead of the four Beatles. And it's, it says noodle mania, like the snoodles bigger than the Beatles now. So, so, uh, you know, I, I just like a, like a little kid might not pick that up, but a grown up would say, wow, isn't that cool? You know, so, so there's, there's a lot of fun in the book, but yeah, it's, it's about creativity. It's about like even like he ends up opening up an art museum. So it's just enjoying art and, and, and of course, then there's the poodle, schnoodle, schnoodle the poodle that everybody loves of course you know that's something everybody relates to that their dog is it takes can help out as well and, you know so so there's a lot of different things in there but in the end everybody is happy the sky is blue and even the the arch villain sarah Cruz, he's he's finds a way to be happy and go on with his life as well. So have you have you toyed with the idea because here's my thing, like I have a ten and a twelve year old. And 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 what I try to explain to them is that, you know, because they're not really exposed to social media and stuff like that. We've always sat back and said, what happens on the internet is not truly real. 
Look around you and see what's real. There's no rioting in the streets. We get along with our neighbors. If you go to a business and, 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 and you don't ever sit back and get in conflict, you know, I mean, people don't sit back and just yell at each other and say, what's your political opinion or because in the real world, we're all surviving and getting along with each other. And, and we do it amazingly well. Have you, have you addressed that with your children? Have you thought about that as a theme? I don't know. It's just interesting with a creative type where you go with that. Well, yeah, my, my daughter's actually go, going on 27. She's going to be 27. So I, I kind of forget like what, what, Whatever I, I tried to teach her back then, what, when she was little. But yeah, what like we see in the real world, I, I think you know she's she was like in in her teens, especially like somebody people pressing every you know when I, I have a chapter Crankosaurus Kryptonite, where you know knowing what people's your your loved ones buttons are and not getting all too excited about it. Yeah, so they have like so many buttons. And especially when you're exposed to social media, and if you're very sensitive to that, that cannot be healthy. So, yeah, my my thing is, is there's been jerks throughout history, and there will always continue to be jerks. And the truth of it is, with social media now, I mean, when you see it, it's because we're all like horrified by it, but it's not the norm. Right. I mean, you're going to find you're going to find these horrible people who say stuff or do stuff. But they stand out because they're not the norm. And, and I try to remind my children of that, that that's, that's not normal. Whereas when I was growing up, unfortunately, that was normal. It was. The rudeness, the things that people thought they could get away with saying were just, yeah, it was, it was ubiquitous almost, really, especially in South Alabama. But today, it stands out because it's not. I think there's a lot of things today that are better, at least from my view, and it's purely anecdotal, but at least from my view, there's a lot of stuff in the interactions amongst people, the real life interactions that are better. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's really, there's some really great kids. Even last week, I was brought to tears because of my situation, my ex-wife saying what people, words that people said. And, and I, and what I talked about, at the funeral, I talked about how my ex taught me that being able to marvel is even more important to be than thankful or grateful because marvel is something that you own. No one tells you you should marvel, but people might say you should be thankful for this. You should be grateful for the roof over your head or whatever. But marveling is like the little child listening to the seashell, the shapes of the seashell, looking at the colors of the seashell, and the child marvels, and adults sometimes forget to marvel. And I was with a a marvelous person, and even in my book, I talk about, you know, trying to marvel at, making it a norm to marvel at things, as many things as you can, or experiences as you can in a day, and that way, you could, if you marvel at enough things, you'll have a marvelous day. So, I like that. I always think that that's very important. I like that. I think that could be a whole book on its own. Yes, I'm just I'm just floating that out there there to you since you're the creative one of this of the two of us in this okay. conversation. I'm just you know I'm not I'm not taking any credit for it, but I'm just going to throw that out there that that's the book sure. right there. Just say it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you could you could do a book on different things like I, I write different chapters on crankiness 
and every every chapter is different. Uh, like I've read these self-help books where somebody, uh, a therapist has their greatest tips. And it's like one chapter, first chapter is a great idea, but then every chapter is the same thing. And I love to be different and I use stories to be anchors to what, what could guide you. And uh, so just like crankiness or effective crankiness, how to marvel. Yes, that certainly could be a book. And we have to fight cranky just because you do a whole thing on cranky, but it's, it's, you have to fight it. It's so easy to slip into it. It's so, it's so easy to not realize you're in it. Some days you have those days where you can go, ah, I'm in a bad mood. And, ah. But there's a lot of times that I've found somebody points it out to me. My wife will go, well, what's wrong with you? And you're not realizing you're in the middle of being kind of a jerk. Right. And, and, yeah. and, and, and having the self-awareness, but then how do you pull yourself out of it? Because I said, you, you sound very affable. It's hard for me to think about you being cranky, whiny. Okay. Sure. Cranky. But, but how do you pull yourself out of that? Well, it's, it's, it's actually even before, like I, I give it a name, Crankosaurus. I have a Crankosaurus and they call it the common Crankosaurus, like, Common cold, you might get two or three in a, in a year. Common crank at service, you could get three or four just in the morning. So, so being able to give it a name, and I, and I say that the importance of giving things a name, where you don't feel like if I'd say, "Oh, Gary, you're bad, you're bad, you're angry," or you're you're able to say, "I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling angry." I think like oh, like when, you know, with little kids talk, say what you feel, don't act out. It's great. It's a lot better than acting out. But if, if I kept saying, I am angry, I'm angry, I'm angry, you might think, well, I'm very, I, not only am I good at being, saying my feelings, but I happen to be an angry guy. If I said, I just have a cranky I'm not an angry, cranky guy. I just have this, the common cranky that everybody else does. And I could just say, well, maybe I'll, I'll go into another room or maybe let me just like relax. And then we, I could express what, what's really annoying me, you know, that sort of thing, giving it and people giving each other permission to express it in a more helpful, not, not destructive sort of way and giving people the experience of being heard. And then, you know, if I feel like someone's hearing me, then I, we get into the practice that, you know, I start wanting to hear them. And, and, and now let me just get, talk about another thing. Like uh, one of my, my favorite chapters or blogs I've written was Crankosaurus menopause. <laughs> somebody wrote, Oh, I wish he was a woman. He write about the cure for menopause. So I said, let me write about Crankosaurus menopause. And in, in my family, with my wife, like our deal is that you get to be 5% insane, 20% crazy, and 75% normal. And it's counterintuitive. By, but by giving people permission to be crazy, people end up to be less crazy. So if I told you, Gary, you get 0% crazy, not allowed, not a single bit of crazy, not allowed. So when you get that little crazy in your head, you, because you, you're only allowed zero, you have to say, no, Steve, you're crazy. And I'm not crazy. So this drives me crazy. This is art drive me crazy crankosaurus when, you know, it drives me crazy when somebody says this, I can't understand how. And then I, I double down and say, no, you're really crazy. And by giving people only 
crazy. They end up being 50, 60%. Me, I get them, give my wife 20% crazy. So he's only crazy maybe one, two percent of the time. I'm cutting back. So I have a 49% reduction on craziness just by giving people permission to be crazy. You know, and that works. I, I, there were a time years ago that I was suffering from panic attacks, you know, where you think you're going to die. And I read this thing. And again, this is just what worked for me. I'm not saying it works for everybody, but one of the things I read is said, instead of fighting it, welcome it. Say, tell yourself that people pay good money for this thrilled, this, this, this ah, feeling of going on a rotor coaster, right? I mean, you're, you're kind of scared. You're kind of thrilled. So tell yourself, all right, let's do it. Let's have some fun. Go ahead. Go ahead and yeah. have it. And for me, it would the panic attack would totally dissipate. When I sat back and said, hey, let's have it. Let's do it. Come on. Here we go. Nothing. Yeah. And it, again, anecdotally, it worked for me. I'm not saying everybody's work for everybody else, but it, it is that whole thing about giving yourself permission to allows yourself not to go overboard with it. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's exactly right. I had to train myself. I'm, I'm the early person. And my ex-wife was always like, how late can we be, you know, sort of thing. And so if we miss the plane, we miss, you know, so I had to train myself that, hey, what happens if we do miss the plane? What happens? I'll live, you know, just, but like, and, and we mentioned panic attack. It, that's the, the feeling like it's grip when beginning, we're not going to be half hour early. What, like, what is that? Yeah. And uh, like, I feel like, like my skin is crawling off my body because I'm not going to be there on time. But I had to train myself. Like, no one ever died by being a few minutes late. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Stephen Joseph, I have so enjoyed this time that you have given me. StephenJosephAuthor.com, if you want to find his website. And you can see a lot of the illustrations he has from Andy Case, who's just a wonderful artist and really adds to the book. And again, I got it. Snoodles, cadoodles, poodles, and lots and lots of noodles. It's just been a fascinating story, and I knew you would be. Just from the moment I read your bio, I'm like, I I need to talk to this guy and see where this comes from. And let's find out if he's really cranky. And spoiler alert, he's not. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Stephen, thank you, my friend. Have a great day. You too, Gary. Take care. Thanks for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe, download a few more episodes, and please leave a review. Reviews really help us get this out to more people like you. Also, we'd love to hear what your favorite part was. Be sure to join us on social media to engage in even more unexpected conversations. Until next time. Until next time.